You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome again to another episode of the Revision Path Podcast. I hope you all had a wonderful and safe and festive Independence Day. Before we get into this week's interview, let's talk about our sponsors, MailChimp and Audible. MailChimp is the best way to design, send, and share email newsletters. Whether you're a freelancer or you run a big agency, MailChimp has got you covered with in-depth reports, subscriber profiles, and a ton of other features. And best of all, it's free to sign up. Just head on over to MailChimp.com and get started today. Audible has over 150,000 audiobooks to choose from, and if you go to audibletrial.com forward slash revision path, you can nab a 30-day free trial and a free audiobook of your choice. They are great for listening while you're at work or on the go. Take advantage of this free offer today at audibletrial.com forward slash revision path. Now, we've got a lot of great interviews coming to you in the next few weeks, but none of this could be done without your help. Spread the word about the show. Tell your friends, tell your coworkers, tell your colleagues. Rate and review the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. All of those things help more and more people hear these great interviews, and they help the show grow. You can also help out the show by donating. Go to tugboatyards.com forward slash page forward slash revision path and leave us some money in our tip jar. Uh, Sponsored upcoming episode is only $20 to do that. Or just help out for $5 a month. Each pledge goes towards helping Revision Path become a sustainable platform for years to come. Speaking of great interviews, this week I talked with Abu Kone, a senior software engineer for Millennial Media in Baltimore, Maryland. Here we go. Now, are you using that with the mobile apps that you're currently developing? I know there's there's two that you... So I'm currently working on two mobile apps and... um, like the, the whole stack that I'm using is, so for the front end is uh, AngularJS, but I'm specifically using the Ionic library framework. Are you familiar with it? Mm-hmm. I was initially looking at, again, going back to Sensor, which is the maker of EXJS, because they, they had a pretty solid uh, mobile development framework called uh, Sensor Touch. Mm-hmm. But due to my experience with, um, you know, the, like with uh, EXJS, I'm not a big fan of that, you know, of, of that style of coding. So I did everything that I can to kind of like avoid it. And then when I, you know, so like actually a designer introduced me to Ionic. He's like, you know, why don't you check this one out? And at the time it was, uh, it was in alpha. So I was kind of reluctant to build like something that, you know, that's basically going to be the basis of a company using like the alpha version of a product. But the more time went, the more I played with it. You know, the fact that it's already built on top of Angular, it just made more sense for me. I'm like... I don't need to spend time, you know, like, because being involved in two ventures at the same time is, uh, is very time-consuming. So in terms of being able to, 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 to deliver, being able to make progress, I didn't want to spend time, you know, like, learning, you know, like, perfecting my, large, uh, my knowledge in one framework when I could be doing everything, like, you know, within something that I, that I know uh, very well and, I, and that I'm comfortable with. So when Ionic went to beta, I decided to just basically build like my mobile app, my mobile app on top of it. So, what are those those two apps? One of them is Tonsorius. The other one is Elikia. Can you tell us what those two mobile apps are about? Starting with Elikia, it started from an idea that I had uh, back in 2010 that I was toying with, and um, it's built it's based on the concept of the money pool, and it's a concept that's that's, that's used in Africa by it's mainly, it's mainly by women. 
and this uh, financial support system that they created to kind of like empower themselves, you know, from, from a financial standpoint, being that back home, men are usually like uh, the wage earners. Uh-huh. And for the most part, but where women work, and, you know, they want to like um, build on that. Uh, I think like most, you know, most women of Africa have some type of side hustle, whether it's, you know, selling clothes here and there. Even if it's not full-time, they're still doing something on the side to kind of like, you know, prop them, themselves up financially. Mm-hmm. And uh, that money pool system, like in French-speaking Africa, is known as Tontine. In like Central Africa, it's known, it's known as Lick and Bella. And the basic concept of it is um, they all get together in a group and they make like timely contributions. Uh-huh. Like everybody put money in the pot. Uh-huh. And then they basically break it down in terms of who will get like that pot. And it goes on, you know, rotating basis. Okay. So, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, we. it's funny you mentioned those different terms. The way I, I've heard about it is being called, is a susu. Yeah, susu, in Ghana, yeah, that would be in Ghana. It's yeah. Known, it's known as it's, susu. And see, I heard about that from yeah. like my Trinidadian and my Jamaican friends. <laughs> Which, and right, and yeah. it's funny because even, like, even in the South, like where I'm at, yes. we have something similar, but they just call it like a social savings club. But it's the same, it's it's exactly, the same concept. Exactly. Yeah. It's the same idea. So, Back in 2010, I was like, hey, you know, it was like, you know, during the recession and everything, I'm like, hey, this is something that could work, that could help people, like, say, you know, like, say, you know, not only save money, but, you know, being able to empower yourself where, for me, I think the, the first time I approached it, it was more from a savings perspective, because I realized that it's saving is something that's very tough to do. It, it requires a lot of, like, self-discipline. Why not use, the, you know, the power of your social network to, to, you know, to help you do that? So my idea at the time was to create a website to kind of, like, enable that. The more I talked to people about it, the more I realized that they were not getting it. And the most, you know, the, you know, the typical response that I got was that, what do I need to get with people to be able to, to, to save? I can do that on my own just fine. So I don't think that I, ha- I had, like, the, the concept, you know, like the the pitch aspect right on it. So I kind of like let it go for a while up until uh, last year I went to a conference and I met another guy, Chris, who's uh, my co-founder right now. And we were just, you know, like talking and uh, asking what he was up to. He's like, I'm working on this application. Uh, I want to create stuff. And I'm like, oh, what what is he going to do? And then he started telling me about it. And I was like, you know, I just walked away from it. I started laughing. I'm like, get out of here. And then I told him I was working on the same stuff like a couple of years ago. And then, and he was like, oh, why did you stop and everything? And I kind of told him the story. And he's, you know, he's kind of like pushed me to kind of like, he's like, you know, he kind of like pushed me, like, you know, let's put this out. It's, it's still things that is, you know, like valid. It's a valid idea. It's a valid concept. It can really help people out there. So for the past, like, since, since like summer last year, we've kind of like been working on trying to bring that to market. We've kind of had, you know, we worked on refining the, uh, the concept, kind of like make it, Pitching in a way that you know can be better understood, you know, you know, the context of you know the society that we live in, mm-hmm. and instead of making it a web app, you know, we decided that it would be more impactful, impactful as a mobile app. But that's what everybody uses right now. So, kind of like, I think uh, making that that transition made you know it made sense and you kind of like allowed the idea to kind of like come into its own. That's for Elikia. For Tonsorius is um, I got the idea from uh, because I'm a guy that. You know, like, uh, you know, I'm a quarter, you know, and quarters are not known to be like, you know, fashion, uh, you know, uh, items or whatever. But mm-hmm. my, my thing is, you know, like, I just sometimes just get too busy to go to the barbershop, right? I was like, one day, I'm like, you know, there should be an easy way for, 
it's not that I don't like going to the barbershop, it's just that sometimes to me it's just secondary and or yeah. even, ter- even, even tertiary. So I just, sometimes, you know, when I have an interview or something, that's, you know, when it's like there's really the urge to go to. But that's something that I enjoy doing. And I'm like, why? There should be an easier way for, and like most people that, you know, that I know, I don't have like a, a barber, like a personal relationship with a barber. You know, that somebody that calls you from time to time, like, hey, I boys, you know, you haven't come to the shop in a minute, you know, what's going on or something. So I would like to, uh, you know, I thought to myself, you know, there should be an easier way for, how, you know, I'm like, how do barbers get in touch with the customers? You know, how do they, you know, bring in customers? Like people like me, how do they, you know, how do they get them in? It's not that we can afford the services. It's not that we don't like going there. It's just that there is no direct link in between, you know, the way for them to get in touch with us unless they already build that, that personal relationship. So I start talking to people. You know, like some friends about it, and I ask them, you know, how do you get in touch with your, you know, my, you know, how do you get in touch with your barber? You know, how do you schedule appointments? And they were all like, oh, you know, I call them, or you know, I send them an SMS, and you know, asking them about the experience seems that like there was always, um, like for my wife, for example, with a stylist, it's always like uh, uh, hard to get an appointment because even when she gives you time, sometimes she doesn't respect it, or she double booked the time. So I saw that there, were, that there was a problem there. I'm like. This is something that uh, you know that, that an app could could resolve, both from the customer's point of view because calling your barber sometimes I don't from the research that I did sometimes you can't get in touch with them when you really need you know you really need the services or they're so busy that you know like from a customer service standpoint you know satisfaction is not really satisfying because it's you know they rush you know they they take your time or whatever so there was a, a sense of frustration there so I'm like. There should be an easy way that we can kind of like remove that frustration and it kind of like help smooth out that process. So that's how the idea of Tonsoros, uh, you know, came together. And right now it's designed as a, it's intended to be like a customer relationship management tool for for barbers and, uh, and stylists where, and the main aspect of that is going to be allowing the scheduling of appointments from um, by, by, by customers to the barbers or stylists. That's how we're planning to, to launch it. Nice, yeah. I feel like, and I'm, I'm mostly speaking from personal experience here, but I think that, you know, especially if you're moving to a, a new town for whatever reason, you know, trying to find a good barber exactly, is exactly. tough. You it's know, tough. Exactly. like the relationship that a black man has to his barber is very important. Exactly, exactly. They know, so. they know, right, they know your head, <laughs> they know how to cut it, they know to miss a certain spot or whatever. So I think that's a good idea. That's a really yeah. good idea. So that's, so my co-founder, who's the exact opposite of me, who's more of the guy that goes to the... That's the, what you just said is exactly what he... When we talk initially, what he told me, because he's, you know, he has a personal... He has a barber, he goes there every week, and he's like, outside of the problems being able to schedule the time, there are also the issues of... When you go somewhere, you you know you really don't want to trust your hair to just anybody. So there should be a, a way for you to be able to find those barber where you know you know you don't have that confidence to go and trust them with your hair. So that's the platform that we that we're trying to build with Tom Service. Nice, nice. Now I know we were trying to schedule this interview earlier, and you were at a conference in Ethiopia with Coders for Africa. Yes. Can, can you tell us about what Coders for Africa is, and how was that conference? So Coders for Africa is uh, was started uh, for in two thousand nine, five years ago. It was originally started as a as a nonprofit, and its main goal at the time was. Just to tell, give you some background, the way that it's, it was founded by my brother-in-law, oh. and the way he's also a programmer, and the way that it, you know, he ran into the issue is that 
they were trying to build this application. They got this contract, you know, uh, freelancing, and they were trying to build this application. And, you know, going through the motions, they were like, oh, why don't we outsource this to India? And they did. They went into, like, all kinds of trouble, you know, managing, like, this project uh, in India. And they were like, you know, why are we getting so frustrated with, uh, with this process? You know, why we should be able to find some developers in Africa that should be able to handle this. And they started looking and they couldn't find any at the time. So they were like, you know, like, we, you know, we over here, you know, we got the skills, you know, we know how to develop, uh, you know, like to, to program and everything. We should have a structure that basically, like, allow African developers to, to, to kind of, like, code to the same standards that, we, that we're coding to right now. So that's how the uh, idea originally started. So they started... So the original goal is to uh, was to build a community of developers in Africa. First, identify them, and then just uh, help you know nurture community and you know nurture communication, learning, and training within that community, and doing that to, like in, across all Africa. Because there have been some efforts before, but they were pretty localized. If you know you know Africa is a vast continent, there are mm-hmm. all kinds of different countries and languages. So everybody was kind of like doing the thing. In the, you know, in their own corner. So it was kind of like, let's kind of like try to remove that, that whole local mentality and try to, 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 to make that concept, you know, like uh, Pan-African so that, you know, like developers across Africa know about what they're doing and we, they can leverage each other, you know, each other's skills and network. So they've been working at it for, for the past five years. And the concept has grown, you know, initially from, you know, being able to, to first create that community and move into a phase of training where we devise a curriculum based on like the best practices in terms of software development that we learn here, you know, that, that you know that we use every day in our, you know, in our in our, in our day job, and bringing that to Africa, while at the, to African countries, while at the same time making a difference. And um, Ahmed Dafa, which is the, the, the found CEO of the company, one of you know like the things that it says of the mission, and one of the things that I want you know. You to, you know, that I want to stay with you is that, you know, Africa as a continent miss the industrial revolution, but we'll be damned if we miss the digital revolution. Mm-hmm. There's not going to be any coming back from that. So in order to avoid that, it's, uh, so the, the mission is kind of like in order to help avoid that as a community, as a, as a developer. So every training that, that we do, usually when, uh, when we went to, to Ethiopia, the goal was to first, as I said earlier, like uh, find, identify the local community, see who are the local players, what are the skills, what is the local talent, what are the local problems, because, of course, you know, there, there are problems, and how can we help, you know, like make, you know, things better? How can we help that community move forward? So that conference in Ethiopia was over two days, and again, the whole goal is empowerment. So the first day was the developer day, we held some uh, training sessions. We had some workshops. Personally, conducted some workshop on uh, front-end development, and uh, with Angular JS, and uh, and also front-end application architecture. Like, how do you build, like, a, how do you build like uh, an application? And that's everything from the API to your front-end code. Mm-hmm. And there were other uh, sessions on Drupal, ASP.NET. And ASP.NET seems to be like the biggest, like uh, in terms of uh, skills, it seems like to be the biggest pool of skills that we found in Ethiopia. And the second day of the, that conference was dedicated to entrepreneurship, of course. So we got some local startup to come and talk about the work that they're doing right now and uh, 
So the same way that you know you'd have it here at you know tech conferences, and uh, it was really inspiring for me from a personal perspective to see, like the problem of Africa is not that there is like there are no skills, or the problem is just uh, you know sometimes it's just communication you know the lack of information, and just sometimes just a lack of leadership to be able to move things forward. So to get back to Coders for Africa lately on top of the community building and um, training uh, goals. We've also added uh, like a third goal of making Africa viable outsourcing destination. Because of the level of you know, skill that we've seen on the continent, the level of the proximity to the United States and the fact that we have so many languages, I think it's an advantage that we can, that you know, American companies can leverage definitely to get, you know, to meet to their software needs. So we're positioning ourselves as a soft, you know, like as an outsourcing company, we're backed by African developers. And on top of that, in order to help the digital revolution across Africa, it's also how do we contribute to the evolution of software development in Africa? And we've as part of, so one of the things that is funny about the training that I was telling you about is that instead of just, you know, taking students and putting them through like three months of training, all based on theory, we mix that with some real world objectives in terms of before the training even starts, we identify some local companies in every country that, that have like software needs. They need an application built to meet a, uh, like a particular, so we not only do we need to identify problems in, in terms of the software community, but also in terms of the people. What are the people, what are the problems that the people are facing right now that are local, and how can we solve those problems? Is it possible to solve them through software? If it's possible, then, then we identify that the next step is to those people that are getting trained that are already local, that already know those circumstances, is to use that training for them to be able to build a map. So that's why we call it the project-based practical training because the whole goal of that project is to be able to solve a local problem at the same time, so that uh, in the end, everybody, it's a win-win for, for, for everybody. The student has completed the training, he's learned, he's a solid software developer, but at the same time, we got a local community or a local company that got a software need met at the same time. So what it does is also help the local industry grow at the same time, because instead of building software for uh, that nobody's going to use, people learn to build software that that is actually a need for locally. It doesn't mean we don't all need to be to be building Facebooks or Twitters. Mm-hmm. But there are like in the case of Senegal, for example, one of the applications that we built was uh, to allow our farmers to track their cattle. Because that's all that's like every year it's, it's a recurrent problem that they had is for every rancher to be able to keep track of his of his cattle. So we built a map that would allow them to kind of like keep that track. Mm-hmm. And uh, the project was so successful that it was actually presented to the government and they're thinking of taking it to the next phase and actually making it a government application. So there are definitely like local problems that can be solved by problems and we, we're really trying to help like uh, help those get done and at the same time help like groom and train like you know like qualified developers. That's excellent to hear about that. Something the, the last part that you mentioned about sort of them building this app to track cattle, yeah. it, it reminds me sort of of the ever present conversation about diversity in the tech and design fields, particularly here in in the United States. There's always, I think, every year, at at this rate, I feel like it's every month, some sort of discussion or argument or something relating to that. But 
the thing about having diverse teams is that you also have that diversity of thought so you can solve Ex- different types of problems. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, so like in, in Silicon Valley, for, you know, just using that as an example, you know, you see a lot of the apps and things that come out that solve problems that are primarily only for people that well, are in that. that is, exactly. You know, exactly, like, yes. like does someone in Africa really need an app to, like, <laughs> pick up their laundry? Is that really exactly. something that is necessary? Whereas, you know, if someone in Africa... You know, like in Senegal, like you're saying, is building an app that helps like track cattle. Like it's solving local problems using technology. Exactly. You know, which is why that is why that's uh, that's really so important. Are there things that developers and designers can do here in the U.S. if anything to sort of help contribute to these kinds of efforts? So one of the things that you know that we're always looking for is to people that are willing to basically help uh, you know like volunteer to you know do the training uh-huh. and also be a, a resource to people that are so because sometimes they have questions about you know all kinds of questions in general and just being able to uh, you know open yourself up to the idea of hey the world is a bigger place and there are a lot of things that are going on and you might think that you know you know you don't know much or your knowledge is pretty limited. But that's relative until you realize that, you know, like, you know, they said the best way to, to learn is to teach. Right. right? So this, it's kind of like applying that to yourself and being able to be willing to share what you know with developers in Africa. Yeah, some of the things you mentioned that reminds me of this post by Randolph Owusu. Yes, he, exactly. Uh, yeah. has, you know the post I'm talking about is called Agony. No. Of, the post is called Agony of an African Programmer. Yeah. And he's a programmer in Ghana. In Ghana, uh, yeah, and, I've talked to him before. Yeah. Okay, yeah, and he's sort yes. of talking about some of the problems that are, are unique to, and I would say they're unique to Africa, but probably they're more so unique to Ghana in particular. But yes. things like, like load shedding, things about how certain big e-commerce platforms like, you know, PayPal are completely yeah. blacklisted for exactly. the entire yeah. continent. Like, yes. like these are uh, sort of constraints that developers there, and I think designers too by proxy have to work around and with that a lot of developers perhaps that, in Europe or in the US don't even consider or even have I mean, to worry about. If you take it back to the basics, you know, like right now we're talking over I'm connected, you're connected and we're talking right now, people that are listening to this interview are are connected. And you don't even think twice about the fact that there is power around you. Right. Power. I mean I'm talking about it at the very basic level, just being having to to have a, a you know like a, a constant source of power, that's an issue already. So if you go from okay, so if the power is, is not an issue, then you got to talk about the speed of the connections. I know guys in Africa that have created like you know like very pro- performance software on um, less than three G connections, you know like on twenty k, mm-hmm. you know tw- twenty kilobytes. Wow. You know, you have download speeds there, and they and they creating code on that. Wow. Uh, you know you have to respect that when when you hear about those type of stories, and they you know those. You're talking about guys that are, you know, trying to build, like, you know, load balancers and all kinds of, of like, you know, high-end, like, uh, back-end architecture, and they're doing that with less than 3G connections. That's when, you know, there are no power outages. Mm -hmm. So those kind of uh, struggles are real. They're really, like, part of, like, the everyday life. But the beauty of it is that, you know, you got people that are creating in spite of that. Right. And... One of the things that, you know, people always ask us, you know, when we go, we go to Africa is that, oh, why don't you guys reach out to the government? The government, you know, one of the sad realities of, you know, of life in Africa sometimes is that 
like I just told you, people make things happen in spite of the government. It's not, you know, that the government is not helping, it's that they can even be in your way. But in spite of that, they still make things happen. So I think one of the things that we learn in, in Africa is that, that you know, in, uh, living here in America for a while, is kind of like that hacker mentality that, you know, do for, do, you know, do for self, you know, use what you, you know, use what you got to make it happen. And it's kind of like try to bring that to, to our brothers in Africa. It's kind of like... Don't don't wait for things to uh, to happen or so some external source to come and do things for you. You know, like with what you got. Like I said, they already got that that spirit happening. You know, that that spirit of like making things happen in spite of all the, that adversity. Right. Is for us to come in and kind of like support that. You know, and help that expand that 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 type of mentality is uh, kind of help that you know, nurture that and help it grow. Like making a way out of no way. Exactly. 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 Right. So let's let's move off of technology for a little bit just talk about you as a person if you weren't doing web development what would you be doing <laughs> that's a funny story man i don't know in school in college i really like um psychology as a class so probably doing something in you know psychology or something but remember i told you uh, at one point I, I used to be a rapper too oh really yeah i know you mentioned you mentioned you were looking up uh you're looking up lyrics. I didn't know you were a rapper, yeah. too. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I used to. Back between um, the time that I came here and uh, up until 2003, you know, I've, you know I've, I was quite active, you know, like with some friends. We had, you know, we had a group and one of our goals was to kind of like introduce America to African hip-hop, the whole concept of African hip-hop at the time. It was, bet- you know, between like 98 and 2003, it was a big... It wasn't really that known in the United States, and so there was like the, this whole international movement about African hip hop. There was a, a bunch of w- websites, you know, like things happening in America. But now, with like you know, spread the spread of the internet, that whole you know, like that whole special vibe that African hip hop, you know, like had at the time, kind of like the whole movement kind of like died down because with YouTube and everybody has access to again information and. When, when, at the time when we were like, you know, like you know, when we were doing shows in California, people were like, what? You guys are African and you guys are doing hip hop? You know, mind blown type of stuff. But now I don't think that, you know, you, know, you got BET doing, you know, like they have like an African hip hop section during the, the, the BET Awards. So that novelty is, is gone, which, which is good, which is what, you know, we were kind of like uh, fighting for. So, if I, so that music could have been one of the things that, I, uh, you know, that I would have been doing right now. Okay. Yeah. What are you excited about at the moment? Uh, right now, I'm about to go to to, to, to go home for the next. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that. You know, like of course, seeing family and everything, but also having the opportunity to, to again, you know, continue doing the work, meeting local programmers, and seeing what's going on as far as you know, like startups in Africa. What you know, what are people doing? You know, being able to to, to talk and see what's going on. So, so do you do you go back to Africa pretty frequently? This is going to be the first time in 12 years that I'm going back. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And this is to Cote d'Ivoire or to Senegal? Both. Okay. All right. Yes. So nice. Nice. We're looking forward to that trip. How long are you going to be there? A month. Okay. Yes. So I'm going to have the opportunity to kind of like, you know, reconnect for a minute. That'll be good. Good to sort of get away from... Get a- Get away from things, but also kind of, like you said, like reconnect back to your family. And exactly, yeah. Sort of see what the local tech scenes are where you're at. Exactly, exactly. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? We're running a company. 
and we're doing a lot more, you know, when it comes to Codes for Africa in terms of, you know, raising awareness about Africa as an outsourcing destination and, you know, like running a successful, you know, startup, being able to, you know, take something from, from an idea to a product that's getting used by people. And that's one of the things that uh, we're looking forward to achieving. All right. And just to wrap things up, where can our listeners find out more about you online? They can go to my blog. Uh, it's uh, abu-kone. It's A-B-O-U-K-O-N-E dot com. I'm on Twitter. It's uh, abu-kone again, but without the U. Somebody else has taken uh, that, that, that name. So it's A-B-O-O-K-O-N-E. Okay. Those are my two main contacts that people can get in touch with me. But if you got questions, you know, just want to connect or whatever, you know, feel free. I want to thank you for, you know, giving me that opportunity. I think it's it's great that we have something like this out there. I, you know, I've been to the blog and just being other people, you know, that look like you, that sound like you've been doing things that are in the same field that you're doing, I think it's, 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 it's good validation. Uh, it's also it's good motivation. And I think it's important that we show our kids and our little brothers and sisters that you know that they're you know that this is viable. This is something that they can do and you know and make a living out of and and, and be successful. So you know, kudos to you for that. Well, well, thank you, man. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. That's yeah. that's. Thank, I should be thanking you. I mean, you're putting all the praise on me. I should be thanking you for taking time out uh, just for talking with us. I think it was it was really good just to hear about coders for Africa. And like the things that you're doing with with kind of helping out, not just in Africa, but I feel like it's it's sort of a bi, I guess bi national. It is. It is. Bi- it is because yeah, uh, yeah. I think like I said, you know, reach out to Codas for Africa. You go to codasforafrica.org, you know, and uh, and sign up as a developer and you know co- contribute to the community. You know, like it's uh, plus you get the opportunity to travel to Africa more than likely, which I, th- I think is a good way to help you. We connect with those roots too, so I think that's definitely something that we we got to work towards. It's, this can be uh, like a tool for uh, uh, mutual understanding and in, uh, in, in cooperation. So I'm really looking forward to you know the first time that we're going to organize a quarter for Africa, African American with no dashing between you know, tech, <laughs> tech conference. You know, <laughs> so I'm, be, I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. <laughs> Abu, again, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. This has been a really great conversation, man. All right. It's been great. I enjoyed it as well. All right. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Abu Kone, and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to check out our sponsors, MailChimp and Audible. MailChimp lets you design and send beautiful email newsletters to your customers and clients, and it's easy and free to get set up. Go to MailChimp.com and sign up today. Audible's 150,000 audiobook library means you'll always have something great to listen to while you're working or commuting. Sign up at audibletrial.com forward slash revision path and get a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook. Revision Path is a 318 media project. If you like what we're doing with these podcasts and want to help out, visit tugboatyards.com forward slash page forward slash revision path today and make a donation. Leave a tip in our tip jar, sponsor an upcoming episode, or help out for just $5 a month. Each pledge goes towards helping Revision Path become a sustainable platform for years to come. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.